I'm continuing a series this morning on the first couple chapters of the book of Acts. This morning I'm going to be reading Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 21. Uh, It's the uh, coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and then the first half of Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And next week in the evening I'll pick up the rest of the sermon. So Acts 2, 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is God's word for us this morning. Now, there's an awful lot going on in this passage, and as I was working through it this week, I thought I probably could preach three or four sermons. I won't do that, so you can relax. But I started out thinking, hey, it would be great to talk about some of the unique things that happen in this passage. The Holy Spirit comes down and makes God's people his dwelling place in a new way here. And this is the beginning of Jesus' disciples fulfilling his command to go out and tell the good news in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And then I thought this would also be a great text to talk about on this 4th of July weekend in terms of how God has sent his word out to all the nations, including our own, and how we can be part of continuing to be God's witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then I thought about just picking up that Joel quotation and trying to make sense of the signs and wonders and the fire and blood but I don't know if I could quite handle that. So then I thought, well, what we'll do this morning is we'll look at this passage, we'll look at how the disciples witnessed to Jesus, and we'll think about what that can tell us 
about being Jesus' witnesses in this time and this place. So the first help I want to draw from this story is the encouragement that we as Christians are still really, truly spirit-filled witnesses of Jesus. In Acts 2, it says, Acts 2 verse 2, it says that a sound, or literally a voice, like a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole earth where they were sitting. And then these tongues of fire come and they rest on all the disciples. And then in verse 4, it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And then literally it says, as the Spirit enabled them to speak out or to declare. And it's not like the Spirit came in those first four verses and then took off again. The Spirit is still working in Peter when he stands up in verse 14. And actually, some of the words in verse 14, when Peter first begins to speak, directly echo those words earlier in chapter 2. In verse 2, the noise or the voice of the Spirit came and enabled the believers to speak out. And in verse 14, Peter stands up, he raises his voice in the power of the Spirit, and he speaks out and tells the truth to the crowd. The Holy Spirit came down with wind and fire, but then he stuck around and he gave Peter the words he needed to be Jesus' witness in that time in that place. At different times in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus himself told his followers that when the Holy Spirit came, his people would stand in front of councils, synagogues, rulers, kings, and all kinds of people. And Jesus promised his disciples that when that day came, when it was their time to stand as his witnesses, the Holy Spirit would give them all the words that they would need to speak in that time and that place. Now today, our moments of trial, our moments of bearing witness, of standing before people for Jesus, aren't so intense, often so public or so official as those we read about in the book of Acts. But we continue to have opportunities to speak up and be Jesus' witnesses in this world. Now, of course, we have to admit, and I think all of us know, that we don't always speak up. I remember one time in high school that I was riding a bus to the other edge of the city, and I felt really strongly prompted to ask this person sitting next to me what he thought about Jesus and if he had any religious beliefs. And I shoved the urge down, and it came back, and I shoved the urge down, and I just didn't talk. The guy was talking to the bus driver. I felt a little embarrassed interrupting And truth to be told, it felt a little bit weird to bring up a religious conversation on a bus ride. So I just sat there. The bus got to its destination. I got up and I walked away. And to this day, I wonder what would have happened if I just opened my mouth and started a conversation. But I'll never know. But I do know that God continues to provide us with opportunities to witness for him even when we've messed up the last time. Another time, a few years later, I was opening a new bank account, and the process was just taking forever. The bank's computers were sort of up and then sort of down and then back up and down again. So as we were sitting there waiting for things to process, the bank clerk and I just got to talking. And I was in college at the time, and the guy I was talking with had just graduated a year or so before. So we got to talking about college stuff. And I kept feeling this prompting to, you know, mention that I was a Christian. So I shoved it down, and it came back, and I shoved it down, and it came back. And finally, I dropped into the conversation, yeah, I go to Trinity Christian College. And when I said that, the guy paused in kind of a funny way, and then he gave me a pretty sharp look and said, so 
you must be a Christian then. And I said, yeah, kind of wondering what was going to happen next. And then he said, you know, I'm not quite sure what I am. And before I realized it, I heard myself saying, well, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, this guy said, my dad was a Black Panther back in the day. And then he got really into the nation of Islam, and he was crazy serious about it. And he was crazy, too. I mean, just plain crazy. And my mom was sort of a Catholic, but, you know, she married this guy, and she didn't really care about any of it. And I don't quite know where that leaves me. I kind of wonder what Christianity would be like. I hear good things about Jesus, but none of that other stuff ever worked out. What, What do you think about Jesus and about God and about all that kind of stuff? Well, my first thought was, wow, I'm going to get to witness on my bank's dime here. Some banks really do give a full range of services. But after that, I thought, hey, this is, this is great. We can just talk. But God has been working in this guy, and now all I have to do is open my mouth and talk a little bit. So we spent a while sitting at his desk talking about what I think about Jesus, talking about how God came down in Jesus to live with us, how Jesus makes things right in our lives, even when things don't necessarily make sense, how Jesus saves us from everything that's wrong with us and with the world. And it was actually sort of a surreal but great conversation to have sitting in a bank waiting for the computers to come back up. And then the computers came back up, I got the account opened, and I left. And I have no idea whatever happened with that guy. I just may never know. At different points in our lives, we need to pray and prepare for different things. Sometimes we need to start all the way at the beginning by praying for God to open our hearts and make us willing to be his witnesses. Sometimes we need to pray for opportunities to share our faith. Sometimes we need to pray for the boldness to witness. Sometimes we just need to pray for the right words at the right time. But the Spirit continues to provide all of those things in our lives. The Holy Spirit continues to work in quiet and in crazy ways to give us opportunities to speak up for Jesus. And when we have these opportunities, the Holy Spirit gives us words to speak. Often we don't know the results of our witness, but we trust that God is at work in our world. But of course, the world responds to Spirit-empowered declarations in really different ways. In Acts 2, it seems like most of the people just didn't know what to make of the disciples speaking in tongues. Verse 5 says the people were bewildered when they heard the sound of the disciples. Verse 7 tells us the people were utterly amazed. Verse 12 says that they were amazed and perplexed. These are some confused people. And they're standing there looking at each other and saying, what does this mean? But then along with those people who are bewildered, oh, there's a few troublemakers in every crowd. And in this crowd, those people have decided this is all just a joke. And so they start making fun of the disciples. Ignore them, they say. They've gotten drunk, and they're just working it off by babbling like madmen. Don't pay any attention to those clowns. The only good advice they could give you is where to find the cheapest wine in town. Well, today still, we're pretty much guaranteed to get those two reactions when we live as Jesus' witness. The world will sometimes be bewildered by what we have to say about Jesus, and the world will sometimes belittle the message and us as messengers. So Peter stands up to address this crowd in Jerusalem who are baffled by what's going on and who are belittling what's going on. And Peter begins by breaking down some barriers to the gospel message. 
He addresses his Jews as fellow Jews or my brothers, my people in verse 14. Peter is emphasizing to the crowd that he's one of them. He is a Jew too. He belongs there together with them. Peter is trying to get the crowd to listen to him as an insider, not as an outsider or a stranger or some weird babbling drunk guy on the street. And then right up front, Peter addresses the criticism that the disciples are just shooting off their mouths like a bunch of drunks. These men aren't drunk. It's nine in the morning, he says. This isn't some late night excess of cheap wine and poor judgment. This is something that you need to take seriously. So Peter's positioned himself as an insider, as someone the bewildered crowd can trust to explain what's going on. And he's dealt with some objections to what he has to say being taken seriously. And next, Peter goes to the ultimate authority for the Jewish people, which, of course, is the Old Testament. Once he gets these Jews from all the nations to listen to him, he takes them to the scriptures that they knew and loved and to the prophecies they would have known and put their greatest hope in. Peter takes what those people there believe and he shows them how Christianity makes it even better. Peter is basically saying to the crowd, the hope that you have, the things that you value supremely, that is being fulfilled right here and right now in front of you. What you have dreamed for, what you have hoped for, what you have thought the world might be like someday is happening right now. And it's happening in this community of people who believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and as their Lord and Savior. Peter steps into his audience's sandals and he shows them that what they were seeing on Pentecost was exactly what they were hoping and longing and waiting for. You know that thing you thought you knew? You know the story you're living your life according to? Well, you didn't know the whole story. I know the whole story. And I know that it's even better than what you expect, is what Peter has to say to the crowd. But it's not just that Peter grabs any old authority that the crowd will listen to to get a hearing. He grabs the holy, inspired scriptures. And that's what he offers to the crowd. And then Peter uses those scriptures to point to Jesus, the one sent by God to overcome death and to bring new life for all of us. Those concerns for connection with the audience and for the scriptures should still mark our witness today. Increasingly in our culture, we need to position ourselves as insiders and deal with objections before people will even listen to the message of Jesus. People have a thousand things bombarding them every day. Anytime they walk into a store, drive down the road, turn on a TV, or check something on their computer or their phone, they have a thousand different things telling them what to believe, what to buy, what to like, who to follow, and what to block out, ignore, or mute. And unless we've developed some kind of personal connection with people, it's almost impossible to get a fair hearing for the gospel. If we haven't built up some sort of relational capital, people in this culture find it increasingly easy to tune us out or to strike back at us with their own entrenched perspectives. They may or may not be polite about it, but if you can't find some way to establish a connection with someone, you may never get a hearing for what you have to say about Jesus. For many of us, the first step that we need to take to increasing our witness for Jesus is to begin developing intentional relationships with unbelievers. One of the most practical evangelistic steps that you can take 
is to introduce yourself to a couple of your neighbors or to spend a little bit more time talking with a coworker or an acquaintance. The more people know you, the more openings you will have to witness to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And this is especially true in our busy society where people live such fragmented, disconnected, and often relationally empty lives. Just getting to know people gives you relational capital to speak into their lives. And of course, more and more, as our culture drifts away from an assumed Christian base, we'll also need to deal with misunderstandings and objections to our faith. Jacob Eppingau was a fairly well-known CRC pastor for decades and decades, and he had this gift of reflecting on life happenings in a way that really brought things into focus. Well, he told a story once about a time when he was in high school, and he got this assignment to tell an amusing or sort of embarrassing anecdote for his high school speech class. Well, Eppinger thought about some different options, and finally he came up with a story. So he stood up in front of his class, and he told the story about how in the church service a couple weeks before that, well, everyone usually stood up, and the doxology would start playing automatically. The organist would just go, and everyone would sort of slide in. Well, the organist had forgotten, and she'd gone back to the pew and sat down. And so everybody was sort of standing there waiting for the music to start, and the organist was standing there panicking about whether she should go up there or just sit and wait for someone to start. And finally, someone started with a sort of off-tune and cracked version of praise God from whom all blessings flow. And everybody sort of joined in, and they had this sort of nervous close to the service. Well, Eppinger thought that was just a hilarious story, but the class he was talking to didn't have anybody else who was Christian let alone Christian Reformed in it. Most of those people never went to church. So at the end of the story, everybody just sort of gave him a blank stare. And then finally someone raised their hand and said, what is a doxology? What are you talking about? Well, Eppinger was sort of stunned, so he gave a lame answer to that question. And then the teacher said, well, obviously, Mr. Eppinger has failed to give us any sense of the nature of this situation, and his grade is going to reflect his poor performance. Teachers used to be pretty harsh folk back in the day, apparently. Now, Eppinger had that experience decades ago, but more and more, people in our culture just have no experience with the Christian faith of what we believe and what we do as believers. I remember a few times in high school when I was talking to unbelievers and things about faith would come up, and I'd talk a little bit, and then people would look at me like I was speaking a different language. They didn't have any background in the Bible or Christianity, and they just didn't get the reference points that I assumed. It was sort of like a Pentecost in reverse, where the crowd gathered, and they were stunned that this guy could be speaking their language, and they still had no idea what he was talking about. Now, often today, if we aren't careful with what we say and how we say it, people will have no idea what we're talking about. As we interact with our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors, more and more, we need to tell the Christian story as a new story that people haven't really heard yet, but also as a story that has tremendous power to change their lives. This is one of the great challenges for our context and for our lives as Christians today. We need to keep working and working at how we can talk about the gospel in such a way that people will really understand it and hear it as good news. We as individuals and as a church together need to wrestle with how we can present Jesus as the true Lord and Savior in a way that unbelievers will hear and understand and be attracted to. 
honestly here in the suburbs of America, while we have a lot of religious freedom and we're free to talk about anything we like, here can be a tremendously hard place to witness. People here have their acts together, or at least they like to pretend and show that they have their acts together. And it's hard to witness to people who don't believe that they really need to be saved from anything. If the car breaks or the house floods or the computer crashes, most people have resources to just deal with it. And if they get sick, there's doctors and medicine for that. Then if they just feel down, well, there's therapists for that. Life here can be really good and really easy. And we as Americans are really skilled at managing our problems. But the time comes for pretty much everybody when our problem-solving and our problem-managing techniques fail. The money runs out, or the medicine doesn't cure the sickness, or the therapist doesn't really have any help to offer. Some of the greatest openings for witness in our context come when people's lives get hard and when the things they've relied on fall apart. At that point, people who thought they had it all together, who acted like they had it all together, may have a new openness to the message of a died and risen Savior, the message of a God who suffered for us and like us and who can bring us to eternal life. One of the most powerful ways we have to witness here and now is to be part of people's lives when things are broken and hard. Our natural reaction and our cultural reaction when we see someone in trouble is to back off, to step away. And sometimes we need to do that to avoid being dragged down with someone else. But one way that we as Christians can find great openings to witness is to get involved in people's lives and to stay involved when things get messy. Of course, none of us can be perfect at that, and we can't save people. But in this day, walking with people who are suffering is a great witness. And suffering seems to be one of the ways that God is working to bring the good news to this time and this place. Now, finally, in our witness, we always need to be going back to the community of believers, to prayer, and to the Bible. I could preach a whole other sermon on how Peter uses the prophet Joel and that book in his sermon, but I want to close by just emphasizing three big points from Peter's quotation from Joel in Acts chapter 2. First, in these last days, God has poured his spirit out on all of his people. All of us have the call, all of us have the opportunity, all of us have the means to bear witness to Jesus as our risen Lord and Savior. We are all witnesses of Christ. In your life, in your words, and in your actions, you are Christ's witness. So be a good witness and know that the Spirit has filled you. And second, while it may be hard to figure out all the details, our God has done and is still doing mighty, mighty signs and wonders. Our God raised Jesus from the dead. Our God sent his spirit to lead and teach us. Our God brought us from death to life. And our God will make all things right. Know that God has done mighty things and know that God is doing mighty things in our world. And at the end, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are now and forever saved and safe in God's arms.
So as you go out into the world, know that you belong to Christ Jesus and continue to witness to your risen Lord and Savior with the opportunities and with the words that the Spirit gives you.